welcome to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. My name's Ian McNally and this podcast is a recording from a live webinar in January 2021 with my colleagues and former principals Billy Green and Terry Toomey. In this webinar we discussed how you make a positive impact every day as a CRT. I began this webinar by asking Terry Toomey how expectations of relief teachers have changed over the years. Yeah, well, of course, Billy and I are old enough to uh, remember, you know, what the CRTs of the uh, 70s, 80s and 90s, uh, the expectations on them. And I think, you know, basically you could come in and do your own thing in in that era. And uh, some people probably didn't do a lot more than babysit the students. But I think these days the expectations are such that schools are expecting a much more seamless transition from absent teacher to CRT. I think it's it's just good to be on that wavelength. Schools will try and support the CRT in many different ways than, than in the past in terms of you know, much higher level communication, much clearer expectations, um, support with induction and, and professional learning, and just a general awareness of responsibilities that we wouldn't have seen in the past. But if you're coming to work in a secondary school as a CRT and I'm the principal, to a significant extent, I'm going to expect you're not going to be a lot different than the person who you are replacing. That's the model that we are, you know, working towards because that that uh, best suits the needs of the students and the needs of the school. I couldn't agree more. In fact, Dean, it's interesting. Um, I think there's been a number of factors that have um, changed over the period that, say, Terry and I have been involved at schools. And when the very first thing I did for... Tradewind when I started with Tradewind back in I think it's 2014 or 15 so quite a while back now was just to have a look at how many days a the average student would likely to be to come across a CRT in their 13 years and in the primary setting alone it's almost uh, it's there's a potential on average to spend six months with a CRT and uh, by the time that you finish your entire uh, 13 years in the Victorian system there's a chance that you will spend nearly a full year between um, three and four terms uh, with a CRT. That's because of uh, teacher illness, absence, probably increased now with the professional uh, days that they have, um, long service leave. And the way I've always looked at it, if, if any school, particularly a primary school, uh, had six months at the end of every kid's um, period with them, the seven years, and they said, well, we'll give you a bonus six months of learning, uh, that's effectively what the CRTs do. And everyone would take that up. You know, that's that's a lot of learning. So the shift has gone from just looking after the kids and keeping um, the ship steady, if you like, to uh, having a really active role in pursuing our, and implementing the curriculum and the programs that are in the schools. So it's quite a, a big shift. Schools aren't prepared to give up all of those days now, there's a lot more pressure, and Terry and I would be well aware of this, there's a lot more pressure on um, data on, and, and outcomes and student outcomes, and it's not enough just to have the kids babysat. I'm not suggesting that CRTs do that now, but in the, in the past, I think you could make a case that that's what happened, and um, it, it's now that they want to have, as Terry said, a seamless transition so that the curriculum continues, the engagement with the kid continues, and the kids have a normal day at school, regardless of who's in front of the class. So 
uh, that that's a big shift and that's a big expectation of CRTs. I think one important thing to note as well is, uh, as you say, I think ATOL, uh, who we were working with over the last couple of years, they estimate now with the professional practice days, it's 12 to 18 months on average uh, that students will be in the care of, of a relief teacher. Now, that's a huge amount of time if it's just busy work or if we're just, um, you know, watching the clock tick over. Um, so in terms of your mindset there is a responsibility for an individual relief teacher to have a really positive mindset about this but also to realize quite how important relief teachers are in student outcome quite how significant the impact of a good relief teacher is across the the, the whole school system if we didn't have relief teachers the system would collapse overnight is that true to say terry or is am i being dramatic <laughs> it is true to say and the other thing is i think our view of relief teachers is also very different in that um i was always looking at relief teachers as they are my next potential member of staff uh and i think you know that's that that's worth bearing in mind but we could not run the system without relief teachers the four days of um, professional development that, that staff have got just the you know the, the amount of money that's invested at, at a school like a school where I was principal of the last secondary school you know we were spending half a million dollars a year um, even at that school only had about 900 students in it but on on CRT so it's an enormous investment I mean you know nine sorry nine hundred thousand um, sorry five hundred thousand dollars a year um, you know if, if you if you divide that uh, and get your effective full-time teaching, um, boy, that, that's a lot of teachers that, uh, you know, you're investing in, you want to get it right. And um, I think you're, you want to be confident you're getting a higher return for your investment. Oh, absolutely. And in the primary setting where I worked in, uh, the CRT budget was the biggest budget in the school. So regardless of, um, you know, we, we came through periods where we were implementing um, IT programs, so buying lots of computers or even leasing things, nothing compared to the CRT budget. And the other thing, the, the real proof is in the pudding in the sense that schools, if they get the opportunity, will always go back to their best CRTs. And I'm sure at Thraywin, you get lots of requests for the same people to return. And I know it suits a lot of CRTs to return to the same schools. And that's because schools want uh, CRTs that um, can, that become a part of the school effectively. Like Terry said, they, you become like, if you know, you use a, an AFL, um, uh, you know, um, analogy or whatever, you're a bit like the, um, the guys on the bench, the um, relief, you know, you're the uh, interchange players. You come on, but you actually are a part of that team. And we always at the school, and I don't know any school that doesn't, would go first and foremost to our most trusted and reliable CRTs. And then we sort of broaden out after that. But if you can um, make a good impression at a school and the school suits you and you suit the school, you will have, well, like certainly in a in secondary environment like Terry's, you would have an enormous amount of work. I think that's exactly right, Billy, is that you have to have a mindset which you're going to come off off the bench <laughs> uh, to use the uh, soccer or AFL comparison. And you can bring a lot of energy uh, if you've got the right mindset to a school because often uh, sometimes the full-time teachers there might be flagging at a certain point of the year, might be pretty exhausted, and you can come in and be a real breath of fresh air and bring a lot of energy to the staff room and to the um, to the classroom as well. Um, but talking about positive mindset, that's one thing, but there's some logistical things, isn't there, that you have to have in place 
so that it enables you to have a positive impact. What, where's the starting point for a relief teacher? One of the things that Terry and I have discussed in our, our professional development around this topic at the start of certain years is, I guess, around the concept is try to make uh, yourself as much of a part of the school or, or seem like your job is as much of a, uh, a regular teacher who turns up every day as possible. So in other words, people who turn up every day, they know how long it takes them to get to work. They know where they're going to park their car when they get there. They have a set plan and a routine um, that they're going to implement even before they leave, like clothing, what they take, what they need at school. Do they need to take their lunch? All those sorts of little, and they sound like absolutely um, irrelevant and, and, and uh, inconsequential things, but they're not. They're all the sorts of things the little patterns and the routines that people have every day that makes their life as a full-time worker much more bearable. And there's lots of actual research around that uh, in terms of work, whether you're working as a, as a teacher or anything, but people do have routines. They have times that they uh, catch the train or times that they head off for work, uh, what they wear, what they, who they catch up with when they first get there. And as a CRT, you need to get those that whole mindset around a workable, productive routine for you. Because what you need to be able to do, unlike the teacher who turns up, you've got to have that little bit of extra time at the start of the day to work out what you're going to teach those kids. Because the more you can make your day like a, a real teacher, if you like, a teacher that turns up every day, then the better the day is going to be. And you can't do that if you're making stuff up on the run and you certainly can't do that. And this is all about making an impression. You cannot do that if you turn up late and you will turn up late if you don't have your routine set. If you don't have the stuff ready the night before, if you don't know where you're going. Now I know sometimes you'll get a call late, but that's even more reason to have a routine so that stuff's ready to go. So that if you get that call late, you can go out the door knowing you, otherwise you do stress and there's nothing worse it doesn't matter whether you're turning up to do a day at school, and that's that's a very difficult day anyway, or you're turning up to, I don't know, go to a shop, you know, on the weekend. If you can't get a park and you drive around for 15 minutes, your stress levels build. And uh, I can tell you from the school's point of view, if you're not there, their stress levels build as well. So you get off to a bad start. So my thing, you, the first mindset that you need, apart from the fact that you need to think about, I'm a teacher, I'm going to have this particular sort of day, is just what are my routines that are workable, productive, and that will reduce the stress as opposed to increase it? Yeah, absolutely. And Terry, in your experience, I mean, there's those things that a relief teacher might not be able to do because they might get a call at quarter past eight in the morning and they might not be able to research the school or they might not be able to find out where the best place is to uh, park or what road to use because the call's so late. In that situation, schools are pretty understanding about that, aren't they, if they put a late call in. Um, but what type of things can you do before you even, you know, if you're expecting that late call? Um, what type of things logistically can you do to alleviate that anxiety? Well, certainly from my own personal point of view, it, it is an anxious time, I think, waiting for the call as a relief teacher. Yeah, it is. It's a bit of a mind game because you, you need to be as positive as you possibly can be when you rock up to a school, I think. And you want to walk in looking like it, you're going to enjoy the day, not like a rabbit in the headlights. And if you've got a late call, then... You know, that, that limits the sort of preparation that Billy and I would probably um, suggest that you would undertake 
if it was going to be, you know, more of a planned replacement. But I think if you're getting a late call, you've just got to trust, um, I think, that your skills are going to kick in because they will. But I think the key is that those writing instructions that you get from the daily organiser or assistant principal, depending on the school. So I think don't worry about what you, you can't control. What you can control is those initial questions that you may ask. This may be an unexpected, sounds like anyway, a very unexpected absence or something that's happened at the last minute. Therefore, the school's expectations will be tailored around that. Um, they know, you know, they realise that you haven't had um, a lot of time to get your head around this. So I think you go in, you're fresh, you've got an open mind, but you just ask the key questions. What would you like me to do? You know, get clear on the expectations. And is there anything I should know? Just a couple of basic things like that. And then I think if you can get those things going right, then you just sort of build on them, I think, uh, during the day. But I think as a, as a principal, if we're getting someone in, you know, at 9.30 that we didn't think was coming at, you know, 7.30, hey, um, we're delighted that you've come in for a start because you've got us out of a lot of trouble that we, that our other teachers will be having to take those classes will be disrupting routine. So thank you. And we'll do everything we can to support you. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think the, the disappointment that schools sometimes express around CRTs is if they've given them plenty of notice, like for example, the night before and they've left the work and everything's set out and the person turns up late and then doesn't do what they're asked. That is where you'll get the problem. If you, uh, if someone phones in, and this happens not often, but it can easily happen. Someone may have had a, uh, a car breakdown, could have had an accident, a kid got sick in the morning or whatever. As Terry said, if you can't get there till 9.15, 9.30, they will still be very happy to see you. But nonetheless, don't make things worse for yourself by, you know, you don't have to run to the door and end up there in a great sweaty pant and I'm here. You know, like that's just adding to their stress levels and to yours. You don't need to do that. Just arrive. And you might even say, well, look, it's going to take me 40 minutes to get there. Let your drive in person know. Uh, can you let them know? I'll, I'll do my best. I might not be there till 9.30. Because again, you're going in for a day of teaching. You can't uh, run into the room like half dressed and, you know, clothes trailing off the back of you because you haven't been able to get, you know, ready. Just walk in, as Terry said, follow your normal routine. Uh, you've still got to find out about behavior management. You've got to find out about curriculum. You've got to find out about the role. All those normal things still have to happen. Um, and as Terry said, what do you need me to do? Where do I need to be? So if you can actually bring a calming influence to the school through your own attitude, because they will be a bit panicked. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. And particularly if it's someone like Terry, who's the principal of the school and the prep teacher hasn't gone, and he's had to go down to prep, mm -hmm. Terry will be very, very <laughs> incredibly pleased to see you when you knock on the door. <laughs> he'll, even in COVID, he'll probably give you a hug. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Very, very true. Yeah. But so, again, don't add to everyone's stress level by stressing yourself out. Have your pattern and your procedures, but you can't make them up if you've never done them before, you haven't put them in place. So all these things should, in fact, I would argue all these things should be happening now in January. So you think, right, I'm ready to go. This, If I get a, a late call, I've got a little spot in the house, I just grab this stuff and off I go. Not running around looking for stuff at 8.20 in the morning. Yeah, I think it's really important, isn't it, as a relief teacher to understand what your role is in terms of um, you are being called ordinarily because it's a stressful situation for the school and for the daily organizer. 
your role is to acknowledge the their stress and be empathetic to their end of things. Um, sometimes we can get a bit caught up because if we've been caught up in traffic or uh, we're late to the school, we have our own anxieties as a relief teacher. And it's important just maybe before you get out of the car or as you get off public transport, just to take a breath before you go through the school door to remember that that the person that you might deal with might be stressed out as well. Um, Park your anxieties and stress at the door. Your role is to take a deep breath, help them out. And, you know, by recess or lunchtime, everything will be fine. Uh, But it's often in that initial meeting that you have the chance to make that first impression. And if you come in uh, blustering around and um, very flustered, then it becomes uh, not a great impression. And on that as well, um, we've had a really good question from Peter, uh, who has said, how is the desire to positively impact student outcomes affected when agencies um, are possibly forced to ask a humanities trained teacher to cover a maths or science or take a PE class? That is quite a common thing for relief teachers to do, isn't it? It's you might ask a in primary, it might be a grade six teacher to teach prep, or it might be in high school, it might be a, a science teacher to teach PE or to teach drama or something out of their realm of experience. Can you still positively impact on student outcome if you're teaching out of your specialist area? I'll go first with primary. First of all, uh, this is old school, but and it might upset a few, but primary teachers are generalist teachers and there's an expectation that you can teach across all levels. So that's the first thing. When you get the situation that you put into a specialist area as a primary school teacher, um, I would be, if there were genuinely good reasons why you couldn't teach, for example, phys ed, I think I would be talking to my trade wind consultant prior, not on the day, not on the morning, um, that's too late, and saying, I'm simply not in the position where I can do that. Now, that may be for a physical reason or some particular reason that you can't do phys ed, because if you do turn up to the school and they are not cognizant of the fact that you are unable to do that, that can actually be quite difficult to do. Now, that said, there are, I'm not, um, I did, I spent a couple of years teaching music and um, it's not my forte in terms of teaching it, but you can manage to uh, address some of those curriculum issues that you're not so familiar with by adjusting, okay? So, but there are some that are specific, like phys ed, if you're particularly not able to manage phys ed class as well you don't have the expertise one i'd probably go and try to get some but i would be letting trade we'd know beforehand so that you actually don't get that call for that job because you don't want to if you um, think about uh, occupational health and safety and some issues around uh, child safety you don't want to put yourself in a situation that you can't manage and i'd imagine terry in a secondary situation you know that you'll ask people to do some things but I know, for example, if they're not science trained, you wouldn't want them getting out the Bunsen burners and you wouldn't want them getting out the uh, drop saws in woodwork. Absolutely, Billy. And the reality is you're only taking that class because we haven't got anybody else. If we had someone else uh, who could teach in that method area who was available, then we would be using them. So our expectations are realistic. The maths one is a, is a good example in that you might be a humanities teacher or a language teacher and you've got to take, you know, a maths class. Yes, it's not ideal, but if it's a junior maths class, you're still going to be light years ahead of most of the kids in that class, even though it's outside your method area. I always found that I, I could 
always helped the students that needed extra support. It was only the kids that were the high flyers that used to leave me behind. And uh, I used to try and use those kids and just say, well, look, you know, this is not my method area, obviously, not my area of expertise. So let's hear from you. Um, and I think if you're a good teacher, generally, you, you can put uh, some of those skills in play, but don't mark yourself too hard. If you're teaching out, outside of your area, it, it's only happening because you know, there's no alternative, but use it as a learning opportunity. I think yeah. yourself. Yeah. The other thing is, I think, in, and particularly this is probably more so for, well, perhaps upper primary, but certainly uh, secondary, uh, you will have skills and teaching strategies and abilities that you can bring to any lesson, right? So if the work's been left and there's a way that you can follow it to a degree, then I would follow it. Um, if it, there's parts that you can't do, as Terry said, you may rely on some of the students to assist you, but you can also bring perhaps a, uh, as Terry mentioned um, in our previous session, I think he taught politics for a while, may have taught history, my forte I had to teach in um, secondary would be around English. So you can always bring to, um, uh, say if I was asked to take a science lesson, there was a degree I could do it, but say if it was around genetics or something, there mm. are uh, English, I guess, implications that come with that lesson. So you might talk about some of the debates around those, uh, you know, at, at what point should we influence uh, the outcomes in uh, genetics? So that becomes an English sort of based uh, science lesson that still could be valuable for the kids. The, the thing is we have to understand that as Terry said, schools will get the best match that they can but sometimes they can't do that because there's just a there's no one to replace somebody or there's just a dearth of uh, crts that can manage that field um but therefore they will have lower expectations and they won't expect like you know if anyone walked in and expect me to take you know year 12 physics they'd be sorely disappointed if they were expecting a great outcome i can't do it but if they were asking me to perhaps go in there look after the kids for it and raise a few issues around some of those topics so that the kids have a useful time, then they might, uh, then that might be okay. So I think schools are quite realistic about what they will expect. And as Terry said, don't mark yourself too hard, but bring to the class your experience and your strategies, because you remember you are a teacher, you've got lots of strategies up your sleeve, whether you're teaching prep or, um, or year 12, you could, you can teach. One of the points that you brought up there, Billy, is about bringing your skill set as a teacher. I would say maybe 80 to 90 percent of your role as a relief teacher is as a teacher and 10 to 20 percent is as a specialist. Most of your role as a relief teacher is about your skill as a teacher, um, not as a scientist, not as a mathematician, not as a historian. Um, so you can certainly leverage that and also i think um one of the important things i learned when relief teaching was the biggest resource in a classroom is the students if you're not sure where they're up to uh what they're learning about get them to tell you uh they know more than you and then they'll know where they're trying to go to next what they want to find out next but even by reviewing what they have learned so far and you know about uh, they can consolidate you can work on that basis and in a particularly in a primary setting as well uh, there's always lots of clues around the classroom to what they've been learning you can it, often if you turn to, to a school and they don't have any plans look around the displays you can see that they've been learning about pronouns or they've been learning about phonics or they've been learning about uh, they went on a geography field trip or whatever it is 
there's lots of clues in schools to give you some knowledge and resource um, but do use that resource as a relief teacher Often we talk about bringing, um, I think the old thing was bringing a bag of tricks or carrying around, you know, reams of photocopy tasks. Though I think those days are over. You need to be more dynamic, more positive about uh, what students can learn. And also trust in your own professional skill and your own professional judgment that you can deliver good content to students and make a positive impact regardless of the specialist area. Would that be fair to say, Terry? Oh, look, absolutely. And I think use your prior knowledge to advantage too. If it's a school you've worked at before, have you taken the time to get to know the students' names? That's a huge advantage, I think. It all stems from that. You know, it's all about relationships as we know anyway. But if you've taught these kids before and you've taught them within your particular area of expertise, you know, use that to advantage um, because, if you've worked with them before, hopefully you can manage them reasonably well and, you know, opportunity for a bit of peer, you know, peer learning, a bit of peer-to-peer stuff happening. It doesn't all have to revolve around you. No, and I think the other thing that's really important, Ian, is we need to move away from the mindset and uh, I'm, um, I can be critical of people who do this, uh, of they turn up and they just want to look at the book that's been left and say, right, your teacher said open chapter 10, do questions five to eight. Now, if, if you think that that's teaching, well, then you should, I hope we don't lose any people here now, but just uh, turn off, turn off now. That's not teaching. <laughs> no, keep watching because now you'll, Billy will tell you how you should be doing it. Yeah, so I would be like turning up and say, all right, uh, your teacher's left work. I noticed you're doing some, let's say it was on Australian history or let's say it's on... Um, genetics, or it doesn't matter what it is. The first thing I would want to be doing is building those relationships. And your best way to build those relationships, apart from learning a few names and whatever, is to tell me about what you've been doing. What is it? So your teachers left some work on um, uh, the impact of uh, Europeans on Aboriginal settlement. Tell me about what you know. Tell me about, right, that raises some issues for me. So even though I may not be expert in that topic, Suddenly, I'm starting to think of some issues and say, well, have you dealt with this? Have we spoken about this? Have you looked at how that might be impacting now? There's a whole different range of teaching skills and strategies that you have at your disposal or absolutely should have at your disposal. Manage that first, build a bit of relationship, say, and that might take you 10 or 15 minutes. Great. All right. Well, your teacher set some work. Let's have a look at what's been set. And then you work with them. And if you, it would only be then that I'd say, well, look, this isn't my um, specialty, to be honest. I'm not great across this. This is a bit out of my league. What does that term mean? Or what does this mean when they're talking about that? Can someone give me some examples about that? What have you done with it? Right, okay, I'm learning some stuff here. Well, let's work on the same the question together. Then model how you would work on the question. There's almost, I couldn't imagine, uh, certainly from year 10 down, a textbook that where as a teacher, you couldn't work through with the kids and get somewhere near the answer. So that notion, if you want to go in and just say, oh, I can't teach science, your teacher said, turn to page 45 or open your laptop and the activity, if that's what you're doing, then it will fail. But you've got to engage, you've got to teach the kids. That's, as we say, the whole thing about, the mindset is I'm going in there to be a teacher. I am not going in there just to fill in uh, 45, 50 minutes or a day if it's in the primary school. You've actually got to teach. Yeah, look, that's a great answer. And I think Billy... We should never sell ourselves short. We bring so much life experience to the role. It doesn't matter what the challenge is. You know, we've got all this life experience 
as CRTs that students don't have yet. They're only, you know, uh, in an early part of the journey. You know, use that to your advantage. You're a mature adult with a stack of life experience. Uh, you know, nothing comes near to that. Yeah, and I also think um, one useful thing for my experience was that teaching a whole lesson without a lesson plan um, potentially with students you don't know in an unfamiliar environment is daunting, uh, particularly when I first graduated, it was daunting. Um, it's uh, slightly less daunting now, but still it's, uh, it's a challenge. One thing I found really useful to do was not to take the whole period or the whole day or the whole lesson as a big chunk. I would have a look at just thinking about what am I going to do for those first three minutes? That's not going to be subject specific. It's going to be a chance for me just to drop everything, focus on the students, focus on the relationship, introducing myself, letting the students know that I care about them, that I care about their education, that I want them to do well in however longer period I have to teach them and that I'm there to help them learn and then you can have a look at what they're learning but if you have that first you know two or three minutes that you've got rehearsed and I'll admit this in a public forum but I used to try and practice before I left in the car on the way there the words that I would say um, particularly when I was a new grad and maybe perhaps the way I would stand and think about my body language and so on because you don't get another chance to do that you can't fumble into the lesson and then try and restore some sense of order <laughs> or some sense of credibility that's got to be straight from the start. Would that be fair to say, Terry, or have I, have I exposed myself too far there? Nah, look, as, as we say, you only get one chance to make a first impression, so make it a good one. But I think it is about, in that situation, it's about first impressions, first interaction. Don't worry too much you know, about what's going to happen a third of the way into the lesson, halfway into the lesson, as you said. Get those first interactions right and um, articulate your expectations Keep them realistic, but just articulate them clearly. And if you get those first little steps correct, then the rest of it will take care of itself. Yeah. And I think the other thing, Ian, is that people often focus too much on things like um, uh, what's not there uh, as opposed to what is there, which is your teaching skills, your strategies, you know, whether even if you're this is your first uh, year in teaching, you've just spent four years at university learning about it, which is four more years than any kid in that classroom ever has. Mm -hmm. So you, you do actually have a bank of, um, of strategies that you can employ. And as I said, at the very start, uh, you know, what one of the biggest mistakes that people make is even if they go into a room and all the work's left there, and say you've been asked in a grade five class to write a recount of the excursion that they went on yesterday, right? Just say something like that. Then don't start by saying, right, everybody, we're going to write a recount of what happened yesterday. Because who knows what a, you know, they, they may not even know what a recount is. That's what the teacher's left for you to do. How do you know what they know? So obviously, if the information is they went on an excursion yesterday, there's a perfect avenue is let's get our conversation started. Let's find out what they did and let's get to know who they were and what was successful and how the day went and, and get some stuff up on the board or did they take some photos on their um, iPad or what happened, you know, and that's a great way to build a relationship and to get started from there. And it also gives the kids the impression that 
this person who I've never met before is in control and this person is interested in what we did. If you turn up and just say, right, your teacher said do a recount on what you did yesterday, off you go. That sends the wrong impression. So it's using all your skills to build that impression of you as the teacher in control of the situation and the kids are going to have a good day because they're in safe hands with you. Relief teaching is such a unique opportunity that you have to... Uh, I think when I first started relief teaching, I had the mindset that I was going to be inferior to the the, the general classroom teacher who had taught them all the time. And, and possibly for 80% of the time I was. Um, but for, for a time, you have to go in with high expectations of yourself uh, as a relief teacher because for some children in that class or for some students, they will be uh, so grateful that you're someone different in some circumstances, you know, that you're a fresh face, that you're not their teacher who might have it in for them or, you know, they, they might have a certain um, something against them or whatever it is. They might be really pleased to see a different face and a different personality and as Terry, you said before about using the wealth of experience that you have, you should be leveraging your personality, who you are, um, to be able to give those students, regardless of what specialism you're teaching, but to give them a really good, positive experience. Clearly, there's some barriers that get in the way of that. But if we can mitigate all of that by our preparation and by acknowledging those difficulties, then we get down to what we're there for, which is that making a difference to uh, student outcome. Billy, how can we kind of summarize what a teacher needs to do then to make a positive impact? What is the essence the night before that you need to do to put yourself in the best situation to have a successful day? In a nutshell, what you really need to do is to get the attitude right is I'm going in to have a day of teaching, right? But to do that, it's a bit like um, if you like... Um, painting your bedroom or your lounge room or something you can spend a lot of time on the color and whatever but if you don't get the preparation right it won't work out anyway so you can have all the best teaching strategies in the world and the greatest intention of giving the kids the best day but if there's things that you muck up in terms of the preparation and you don't get them right it'll make the day so much more difficult for you and uh, it will probably fail with the kids and the school will struggle with you as well so Things like don't leave things to chance and take, I suppose, the attitude of if something can go wrong, it probably will. So try to eliminate as many stresses as possible. So it's around about having those routines in place so that you are ready to go. And just say you've got it the night before, but I would as a CRT going into a primary school, make sure that you've got some whiteboard markers and erasers, just things like that. Make sure that you know what you're going to wear. You're probably going to get yard duty, so have a hat. Have obviously look at the weather, all those sorts of things that are just going to be annoying frustrations. And even though, again, they may not sound like a big deal, in the morning when you are really time poor and you really need to be at that school, say, by 8.30ish, so you can talk to the bursa or talk to the daily organiser or talk to the colleague next door so you've got your head across what the kids are going to be like, are there any kids with anaphylaxis, are there any other issues that you need to know? So you get all of those things smoothed away, which will then give you a good, you know, only 15 or 20 minutes maybe, but to plan out the first part of your day. Don't worry about what you're going to do in the afternoon. You can worry about that later. But get the first part of your day planned. And you, you almost can guarantee if you're turning up and walking into the room with the kids, 
that you're going to have a difficult day. So what you've got to get down is all of this, get out of the way all the stuff that's going to be um, time, uh, that, that eats into your time and it's going to be annoying. Get that all out of the way so that then you can have at least that sort of five minutes to settle yourself down and think, right, okay, right, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I would then, in terms of behaviour management, because you don't know what the kids are like, greet them at the door as much as you can. Don't be sitting at the desk with your head down, still wondering what you're going to do. Greet them at the door with a, you know, you know, welcoming, hi, hey, going, I'm Billy, I'm here for the day, looking forward to meeting you, what's your name? Fantastic. Because the kids will come in like, who's this? Haven't seen him before, Ooh, not so sure about that. But if you can get off to a good start like that and give that feeling of, oh, well, this is going to be an interesting day, that, that, that makes a big difference as opposed to walking in and the kids are playing up because no one's there at nine o'clock. Then you, 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 you're coming from too far behind then. It's too hard. So I think attitudinally you need to go in with, I'm going to have a day of teaching. But to make sure that that day of teaching is possible, think of all of the things that could possibly go wrong, alleviate those so you've got that time to prep so you get off to a good start. And really, Terry, I think once you get off to a good start and the kids are on side, you're pretty well, unless things go, something goes particularly out of awry, you're going to have a pretty good day. Have a great day, Billy. And I think that, that mindset really helps. And I think your points about, you know, if you see, I tell you, you're basically doing a day's work before you start in a sense, but the more preparation you can do before you go to the school, if, if it's a known uh, vacancy that you're picking up, like who's the first person you're going to meet? Is, is it going to be the office person? Um, do you know their name? Just those sort of things. Um, if you've been to the school before, you really use all those sort of things to your advantage because we're looking for someone from the school's perspective, we're looking for someone who can do the job really well, but it's also going to be good fun to work with. Um, it's going to be a great colleague. They're not going to be high maintenance. You know, we're already in a situation where we've got to replace a staff member, but if we can get someone in who's an asset rather than, uh, be too high maintenance. That's a, that's a real bonus for us. Yeah. And I think in, just in terms of impressing, not just, you know, think about if you turn up and you, because the people that you're going to have to impress in a lot of ways are either the bursa who's going to first meet you or the daily organiser, or it could be a principal or a senior teacher. If you turn up and you're really organised and you ask all the right questions, what do I need to know about this? Great. Where's that? How do we manage this? Great. You look really competent. And then they're more likely to share with you just the little sort of things like you think I can trust this person. This person's going to be a good, uh, be good. If you turn up and you've got nothing to say and nothing to ask, I'll be thinking, Oh God, this is going to be, a, you know, this is going to be a disaster. God, how do we end up with this? I have to keep an eye on this. You know, that, that's your, your, that first impression is you get one go. So if you turn up and you're, you're ready to go, you're really keen, um, really, you know, don't be ridiculous. Like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. This is the greatest, you know, don't be a fool about it. But okay, great. I've got grade five, six. Are there any kids I need to know about there? Any special needs? Any kids with health problems? Will I work alongside another teacher? Just all those sorts of questions that will make the person you first meet thinking, right, this, this person is across it. Um, they're going to know what to do. I can trust them uh, and have it perhaps even have a joke. And then your day starts really well. Yeah, I think it's about building that regard, Billy. Mm. And I think with your colleagues in the school, what you'll find is if they hold you in a pretty high regard as a CRT, they will provide assistance and support without you even asking. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you um, have the mindset that you need to 
look after yourself. You know, make sure you eat well the night before, have a good night's sleep, have a plan of action in the morning. You know, if you, you can take that call while you're out for a walk around the neighborhood uh, in 15 minutes or, you, you know, have your routine all set out that you're able to, you know, go to school in a good mood. That really helps. I think we've all probably been uh, to a restaurant or hospitality venue where the, the wait staff, if, if they're not enjoying themselves, you're not going to enjoy it could be the best meal that a chef's ever cooked if you're not enjoying yourself in terms of their response to you you know it ruins the whole meal you know it ruins your evening out or whatever it is so same with teachers you really make the weather in that classroom you really make the weather in the staff room if you are a uh, positive and um, you know a, a flexible and approachable uh, personable uh, human, then things go much better. And uh, I think that's a really important thing to think about making a positive impact from the very start. Just even in primary schools, it's around really simple things like um, if you're there in enough time to, and quite often they're open classrooms uh, or you might just be shared or a door between, you can just go next door and say, look, do the kids come in? When the kids arrive, do they come in at 10 to nine or nine or, or do they stay outside? Because you don't want to get off to the wrong foot with, you know, um, the kid walks into the classroom and you turn around and say, what are you doing here? You're not allowed to. You've, you've made a blue because if they are allowed to, you know, you want to keep things as similar and as same as they can. You won't get that information if you turn up late and if you haven't thought about asking that question. So try to get all of those little things that could possibly go wrong. Try to keep it as normal as possible by getting there early and being well prepared and having that sort of attitude and having a checklist of questions to ask. We've got a couple of questions. Uh, just I'm a graduate. Uh, in my previous placement, some of the teachers would arrive at school at 9 a.m. Is this normal? I would say no. Uh, you, uh, the guidance from Tradewind, and you cannot stop what other teachers do, but you look, you can protect your own reputation. And we'd say uh, a Tradewind, certainly for your first uh, appearance at a school, uh, turn up 30 minutes before the start time as a minimum if you uh, can, if it's not a late call. And another question, how can I start the day positively and get the children to listen if children are overly loud and rude as they enter? Uh, so for example, in a primary school scenario, you've got some of the older students, maybe with a bit of a, a mob mentality or, or gang behavior, that sometimes those older students, even in primary school, can feel intimidating or difficult to deal with. Um, what type of things can you do to ensure that you get off to a positive start? If, if your attitude is right and positive, but the student's attitude, maybe their morning hasn't gone as well as the, uh, could be expected. Um, what can you do in that scenario, Billy? That's a good one. And this is where I'm saying um, you must be there early enough to check with the colleagues about what is the protocol about coming into the room, right? That's the very first thing. Once you establish that, then you determine how am I going to manage that then to make sure the kids come in in, in an orderly, quiet and respectful manner that you're also going to be able to deal with and accept. So you can't do that if you turn up late and you can't do that if you don't know what the protocol is. But my thing is um, I would, if the kids are only going to come in when the bell goes at nine o'clock or whatever, I would absolutely greet them at the door and I wouldn't let them in until they're quiet. So that's, you need to take control from things right from the start. If they are allowed to come in in dribs and drabs, I would still be meeting them at the door, try to learn a few names. If someone, the first person that tries to, uh, that gets a bit rowdy or running around the room or whatever, you might just say, 
that's probably not going to be acceptable today. Uh, what I need, if you're going to have a bit, if you still want to play, it's best if you go outside and play outside till nine o'clock. So whatever structure it is, but you've got to, you have to put your own control mechanisms in place from the start. It's a bit like the old runaway train. Once it starts going down the hill, you're pretty well not going to stop it. So stop it before it starts because it's, and I would imagine Terry, even in a secondary school, that would even be um, a bigger issue. You, you can't let things get out of control. It's too hard to pull them back. You've got to start to control them from the very first moment. Absolutely, Billy. Yeah, the ability to settle kids before they come into the room, I think is absolutely critical or settle them as they are coming into the room. Sometimes it's, it's really worthwhile watching what other people in the school are doing. We are, what are the best people doing? Because the kids will come into their room and they will appear settled. Therefore, you know, is it the presence that that person's got? Is it um, the relationship they've got with the kids? Is it what they're saying to them? How, how are they trying to settle these kids? And I think that's something we can, you know, all aspire to as, as CRTs, you know, watch what other people are doing and the things that might work for you, try and put them into practice. It won't change overnight, but over time, you'll notice you'll get a hell of a lot better at it. I think that comes back to focusing on those first couple of minutes, you know, uh, to not be overwhelmed. And um, I'd also say, don't be intimidated by an 11 or 12 year old. Uh, You're a highly trained professional. You hold a VIT card for a reason. You've been to university for four years. They haven't, they are not in control. They have not been given the trust of loco parentis. Please do use your, you know, if you have to state that to an 11 or 12 year old who's getting above their station, say, look, you can control the class uh, when you've been to university for four years. Uh, but until then, I'm in control. I'm in charge. Uh, so listen up. <laughs> and as I said, you can only do that and take that moral authority, if you like, if you're there early enough to work out and establish the protocols, what the other people are doing around. You've got to be there to ask those questions and to find out. And then you can, that becomes your baseline and that becomes, right, I'm going to work from this and I'll take that control. But if you're, if you're late, you're not there, or you're sitting at the desk with your head down wondering about what's going on and you turn around the places in a riot already at five to nine, you have got a seriously big challenge ahead of you to pull that back in because the kids will think, well, well, she doesn't care or he doesn't care what we're doing. We can do what we like. But if you pull them up, even the most difficult of them initially, it does make them think, oh, okay, I have to think about how I'm going to manage this. Yeah, I think the other thing is if you, if you get an intimidating student or a student who is not in a positive mindset, that's a really good opportunity to build a relationship before you go into the classroom. Rather than reprimand them or to say you shouldn't be doing that or you, should, you need to listen to me, talk to them. You know, if you're going to help me out today, we're going to have to learn these things. This is how I operate. I'll let you know um, that the rules might be slightly different to your normal teacher, but this is how it's going to play out. This is what I expect from you. But by having that conversation, you're saying, I care about you. I care about your education. You're safe with me. I'm not in a battle with you, but I'm here to help you. And I think um, sometimes we can get off the wrong foot um, because we see that situation play out. We get anxious. We respond in a in an authoritarian manner. Um, but it's important, I think, to to smile in some situations as well, and uh, to be you know to to be more relaxed about it 
and manage it. Now, we've only just got a couple of minutes left, but I just want to get through a couple of questions here. Uh, Jean's asked a really good question, which I think we'll finish on. But we've also had a question here. A handful of times at primary schools I've taught at, uh, there's been scenarios where the teacher gives a heads up and specifically states that this particular stu student does not like CRTs, so keep an eye on those students. Uh, what are some ways to deal with this type of scenario and student in future if they've already got a negative mindset? That is true of lots of students, isn't it? That any change in a adult in the room can be very anxiety provoking for a lot of students for a lot of different reasons they can be marked out as saying well this person doesn't like relief teachers what they probably don't like is just change is that fair to say and what what strategies could you kind of do to alleviate and not not have that confrontation yeah you more or less answered that question uh before and that's uh trying to engage with that kid right from the very start but don't expect miracles i mean if that really is the situation that they do struggle with change if I was told that though by the school, the, my next question would be, so they've you know, informed you that that's a trigger, I would say, and what would you like me to do then? So you know, I think it's a little unfair if the school just says, oh, you're in for a bad day here. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, it's like, well, what would you like me to do then? Um, how would you like me to manage that? Do you want me to, if things get out of hand, do you want me to ask the teacher next door? I'd even perhaps even ask the teacher next door. So, I mean, it's a bit like being told that a, a kid who might be uh, with ASD has certain triggers. Yes, they may. How would you like me to manage that? So I think it's quite, so to, I think there's two points. That question, how would you like me to manage that? And then try to engage with the kid initially, like, as you mentioned, try to like smooth, you know, keep things as smooth and as encouraging and as um, reassuring as you possibly can. But again, don't expect miracles. Um, yeah, so I think that that's, but yeah, I would be also asking if, if a school highlights that there are any issues, I think it's quite legitimate to ask and how would you like me to manage that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, we've got a couple more questions, which I'll just race through before the end of this webinar. How can we overcome an issue uh, where you might be a very new teacher who's not so well equipped uh, to deal with student control? You're expected to take a class and uh, the students um, are up against you and uh, really ends up as a, a, a big nagging session. You have to go in before you even get into the school. You have to think about how you're going to deal with certain situations. And I think that comes down to, again, preparation, giving yourself the best chance and also expecting that you're going to teach. It is your choice whether it turns into a nagging match. The students might come along for the ride, but it is your choice. So you have to make sure that you be, you are a professional, you behave like a professional, you're in control of, of uh, a lot of things that happen in the classroom and expectations. So uh, do go in with high expectations, but we will. Go on, Billy, sorry. You know, it's, it's crucial, again, around preparation is what's the school's protocols, what's the school's processes around behaviour management? And you need to be consistent with those if the school is expecting those to be introduced then introduce them. And if it does get out of hand, then you have got every right to record what's happened and seek further assistance. Terry, I think you would agree with that. I mean, if the, if the CRT is, uh, look, put it this way, if a classroom plays up and is difficult, I'm pretty certain that's not the first time they've done it. Oh, look, 
Absolutely, Billy. That's why it's um, it's always good to have the opportunity beforehand to ask, is there anything that you should know? If there are any kids that are tricky or a class that's challenging for whatever reason, what works best with these kids? And if you've had them before, what do you know about those kids? Do you know something about every kid in that class that's got nothing to do with school? Because that can be a bit of a bonus uh, in terms of turning some of those kids around. But I guess, look, we're in complete control of what we do. We, we, we're not in complete in control of what those kids do individually or collectively, but we can control how we respond. And I think you don't enter into those negative slinging matches because you can't win them. No. And the last question, which I think I'll race through the answer for this one is from Jean, uh, just about what the most essential areas to include in a checklist when you're arriving at school to ask questions, really important question. Uh, really effective as a relief teacher if you go in with some good questions. Uh, some of those questions uh, we can cover very quickly. Uh, for example, uh, is there a CRT folder? What's the emergency vac evacuation? Where are the toilets uh, for staff? That's a good one. Um, can I make a tea or coffee? Uh, COVID rules and all the rest. Can I have a yard duty, please, is a good question to ask. What are the lessons, medical conditions for students, uh, behavior management plans, the attendance role, how to report things, emergency telephone numbers? They're all really useful questions to ask. Most schools have a CRT folder, certainly the ones that Tradewind work with. If something's missing from that folder that you think, wow, that would have been really useful to know, get in touch with your Tradewind consultants, let them know we can help schools out with those factors as well. Um, thank you, Billy. Thank you, Terry. I'm going for a lie down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you too. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. Please do share this podcast with anybody who you think might find it useful and do refer to the show notes to record it as part of your professional development hours. If you need any help or support as a relief teacher, please get in touch with us at Tradewind through our website or call us on 1800 192 195. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time for another episode of Australia's leading relief teaching podcast.